0: How do you think that report card looks right now?
1: Hear what President Biden thinks about his first year on the job.
2: The motion is not agreed to.
1: Key voting rights bills shot down in the Senate.
3: With a swift, severe, united response.
1: And a warning to Russia as war in Europe appears closer. I'm Paul Brandis in Washington. You're listening to West Wing Reports. It's Friday, January 21st. History books for President Biden, it has not gone according to plan. It never does for any president. Biden faces problems galore both at home and abroad. Many are intertwined the pandemic, inflation, and empty store shelves, for example. Others, too. He has stumbled in the polls. Some context here he's well above where Donald Trump was, but well below where Barack Obama was after their first year in office. What does the president himself think? Asked by CBS's Nancy Cortez, he turned it into an attack on Mitch McConnell and Republicans in general, who says they're still afraid of Trump.
0: Mr. President, this afternoon, the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said that the midterm elections are going to be a report card on your progress on inflation, border security, and standing up to Russia. Do you think that that's a fair way to look at it? And if so, how do you think that report card looks right now?
4: I think report cards will look pretty good if that's where we're at. But look, the idea that uh, Mitch has been very clear. <laughs> He's going to do anything to prevent Biden from being a success. And I, I, I get on with Mitch. I actually like Mitch McConnell. We like one another. But he has one straightforward objective. Make sure that there's nothing I do that makes me look good in the, in the mind, in his mind, with the public at large. And that's okay. I'm a big boy. I've been here before. But the fact is that I think that the, uh, I'm happy to debate and have a referendum on how I handle the economy, whether or not I've made progress on. When, look, again, how can I, I, I'm taking too long answering your questions. I apologize. I think that the, the fundamental question is, what's Mitch for? What's he for on immigration? What's he for? What's he proposing It's better? What's he for dealing with Russia? It's different than I'm proposing that many of his Republican friends or his colleagues are supporting as well. What's he for on these things? What are they for? So everything's a choice. A choice. I think, look, I've laid out a proposal on immigration that if we passed it, we'd be in a totally different place right now. But we're not there because we don't have a single Republican vote. My buddy John McCain's gone. So, I mean, it's it's just, it's going to take time. And again, I go back to, I, I go back to Governor Sununu's quote, how long, I mean, a uh, rhetorical question. I don't, I know this is not fair to ask the press a question. I'm not asking you. But think about, did you ever think that one man out of office could intimidate an entire party where they're unwilling to take any vote contrary to what he thinks should be taken, for fear of being
1: defeated in the primary. The underlying message here, it seems to me, he thinks his first year would have gone better were it not for Republican obstructionism. He said later that it's worse now than when Obama was president. I'll talk about this in just a bit with my old friend, Larry Sabato. He's the director of the University of Virginia's Center for Politics and will play some of your comments too.
2: On this vote, the yeas are 49, the nays are 51. Three-fifths of the senators duly chosen and sworn, not having voted in the affirmative, the motion is not agreed to. Vice President
1: Kamala Harris, who is also president of the Senate, announcing that by one vote, a Democratic attempt to repeal the filibuster had failed. That also means that attempts by President Biden and Democrats to pass two key bills to protect voting rights are dead, at least for now. So what is the filibuster anyway? It's a Senate rule that means 60, 60, 0 60 votes are needed to advance legislation like those voter protection bills. Why 60? Because being able to pass bills with just 51 votes would be, the theory goes, dangerous to democracy and the rights of whichever party is in the minority. There are exceptions, though. A simple majority of 51 votes is all it takes to confirm cabinet members and Supreme Court justices, for example. But for legislation, it takes 60 votes to merely allow a bill to be brought up for a vote. Whatever party is in the minority in the Senate right now, that's Republicans, of course, say the filibuster is designed to protect those minorities Minority rights. That's the same rationale the Democrats have used when they were in the minority. As I've said before, there's a bit more to it than that, but that's the basic idea. Anyway, there was a debate about this Wednesday night with both sides mentioning the filibuster within the context of the Constitution. Here's the number two Senate Republican, South Dakota's John Thune, who reached way back to the Federalist Papers, the foundation for the Constitution itself, for this defense of the filibuster.
4: The necessity of a Senate is not less indicated by the propensity of all single and numerous assemblies to yield to the impulse of sudden and violent passions and to be seduced by factious leaders into intemperate and pernicious resolutions.
1: Pernicious. That's a fancy word for harmful. But Minnesota's Amy Klobuchar, a Democrat, says you know what's harmful? Making it harder for Americans to vote.
2: It is no coincidence that after more Americans voted than in the history of this country in the 2020 election, that suddenly there was a slew, a flood of state election laws meant to suppress the votes of Americans. It is not, as a majority leader just described, a minority leader just described, a fake panic. A fake panic. Let's see what is fake about this. What is fake about these laws that passed in Georgia, where suddenly, when 70,000 people registered to vote during the runoff period, I would say to the minority leader if he was here, when 70,000 people registered to vote during the runoff period, they changed that law. They reduce the time of the runoff period. They make it so that no one can register during that time.
1: The minority leader she was referring to was Mitch McConnell, of course, who was not on the Senate floor just then. But he spoke later, a reporter asked, what's your message to voters of color who are concerned that without the Voting Rights Act, that they're not going to be able to vote in the November midterm? Listen very carefully to McConnell's answer.
4: Well, the concern is misplaced because if you look at the
1: statistics, African-American voters are voting in just as high a percentage as Americans. Say what? Black voters are voting in percentages just as high as Americans? Call me naive, but I thought blacks were Americans. Let's hear that McConnell clip again.
4: African-American voters are voting
1: in just as high a percentage as Americans. Now maybe that's just a slip of the tongue, or perhaps Senator McConnell is saying the quiet part out loud. In any case, the filibuster remains, and again, that means those two key voting rights bills are dead. By the time you hear this, it's possible that a war in Europe could have broken out. U.S. officials say that's how imminent they believe a possible Russian invasion of Ukraine is. The irony here is that Russian President Vladimir Putin has long dreamed of driving a wedge between the United States and its European allies, but now his threats seem to be doing the opposite. Here's Secretary of State Antony Blinken.
3: We have been very clear throughout. uh, If any Russian military forces move uh, across the Ukrainian border and uh, commit new acts of aggression against Ukraine, um, that will be met with a swift, severe United response from the United States and our allies and partners. Uh, And again, I refer you to um, the many very clear and declarative statements made by the G7, the leading democratic economies in the world, by NATO, it's, and by the European Union, uh, among others. Um, we also know from long experience that Russia has uh, a lot of uh, uh, tools in its, uh, in its playbook, um, some of them short of outright military action, destabilizing action, hybrid attacks, uh, paramilitary uh, uh, tactics. and. Indeed, we've been talking about many of these uh, with uh, our allies uh, and partners uh, throughout, looking at every possible scenario that Russia could uh, could use and pursue in order to, in some way or another, uh, commit uh, renewed aggression against Ukraine, uh, destabilize it, uh, and take any number uh, of, uh, of actions. And in each of those scenarios, we've been working very closely together uh, to make sure that we uh, effectively define our coordinated response. And that's exactly what we've been doing, and I think doing that uh, very effectively.
1: Putin has famously called the collapse of the Soviet Union a catastrophe. The ball is now in his court. Back in this country, Donald Trump, as you know, appointed three justices to the Supreme Court when he was president. All three and five others have rejected his plea to keep documents out of the hands of the Congressional Commission that's investigating last year's attack on the Capitol. The 8-1 to one vote against Trump means the committee, and thus all Americans, are about to learn a lot more about Trump's involvement in and knowledge of the attack by pro-Trump forces on the Capitol. That attack left scores of police officers injured. One Trump supporter was shot and killed after she and others tried to force their way into an area being defended by officers. Some business slash pandemic news. Now, here's one reason why store shelves aren't full. Between December 29th and January 10th, 8.8 million workers were either out sick with COVID or staying home to take care of someone who was sick. That data from the Census Bureau, 8.8 million people. It's also one reason why economists have been lowering growth forecasts for the economy in the early part of 2022.
0: revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. Back to
1: the one-year mark for President Biden. The media seems to think that it has to assign a grade for how he's doing A through F. But my guest this week looks at this in a very different way. Larry Sabato, he's the longtime director of the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia, one of our country's most respected observers on politics and history. Here's a portion of our conversation. You've been talking a lot, uh, obviously, about uh, President Biden's first year in office. We feel this need to a grade our presidents after one year in office, but it's really just the end of the first quarter. And a lot of presidents have stumbled out of the gate only to recover. Kennedy, Reagan, Clinton, for example, had tough years. They're highly regarded now. So perhaps too early, in my view, to judge President Biden. But what do you think?
5: I usually give presidents an incomplete at the end of the first year, uh, precisely because it's a four-year term and potentially they can serve eight years. So uh, I don't have many students who would want to have the first quiz of the semester be their final grade. So I think it's a little unfair to presidents and misleading to the public to give any kind of concrete grade. Uh, Clearly looking at the year, you can see the first six months for Biden uh, were very solid, uh, very positive, lots of accomplishments, the right tone, popularity, And the uh, latter six months were terrible. Lots of bad things happened. And we always give our presidents too much credit for the good things that happen on their watch and too much blame for the bad things that happen on their watch.
1: Where do we go from here with the president? I mean, he's had his stumbles, but he's also had some successes that uh, maybe have not gotten a lot of attention. The economy did quite well, for example. But When you have 7% inflation and no milk at the grocery store, that's kind of an in-your-face thing that uh, obscures all these other accomplishments. Is it uh, an issue of messaging, or is it uh, more than that?
5: No, it's not messaging. In fact, that's always what presidents and politicians generally say when they're in the doghouse. They say, you know, we didn't communicate well. No, I think people picked up what's going on. It may be unfair that they're blaming you, the president, for it, but that's the way our system works. Look, what Biden really needs is some good luck. He hasn't had much recently. Uh, He can't control inflation. The Federal Reserve Board can have an effect, but they really can't control it either. And the pandemic, I think we've all learned that while we've gotten a better situation because of the development of vaccines and all the rest of it, This is going to be something we're going to have to live with for many years to come. No president's going to wave a magic wand and get rid of uh, this uh, horrible pandemic. We can improve. We are improving. uh, And maybe there will be a general vaccine that affects all the variants eventually in a year or so. But uh, there's nothing Biden can do about it. Obviously, in retrospect, Biden should never have given that speech in early July essentially declaring victory over the pandemic. Uh, Obviously, Biden should not have withdrawn from Afghanistan in the way he did. The withdrawal itself was popular. Uh, There were there were other mistakes along the way, including a belief that somehow he could get all 50 Democrats on the same page with regard to wide variety of programs and also voting rights legislation. But it's easy to see these things in retrospect. Uh, Biden had to manage the enthusiasms of the Democratic caucuses in both houses while they had control. Uh, They were giddy with it, but they weren't very realistic. And now Democrats have paid the price and probably will again come November.
1: You know, on the realistic uh, point, I think that's a really good uh, point here. You know, when you think about it, uh, other presidents have come into office with much more leeway in Congress than this president had. I mean, he lost seats in the House. He barely has a majority in the Senate. And if you consider, for example, uh, Senators Manchin and Sinema, you could argue that uh, perhaps he doesn't even have a majority there. That's a dynamic that's really unlike other presidents. And yet, despite that, I, I get the sense that obviously folks on the far left seemed to think that he had some kind of a mandate because he won by 7 million votes. But if something like 44,000 votes had shifted, Donald Trump would still be president. That is not the stuff of mandates. It's the stuff of incrementalism, isn't it?
5: No, absolutely correct. And frankly, some of the reaction on the left has been very childish. It's been a temper tantrum. And it's highly inappropriate. They ought to know better. They're going after their president when the problem is that almost all Republicans vote against almost everything that Biden puts before them. And uh, Biden had the support of 100 percent of the House Democrats and 48 of the 50 Democratic senators. Uh, Look, when you have a 50-50 Senate, every senator is king, every one of them. And that's something Joe Manchin knows, and it's something that Kirsten Cinema knows, uh, and they have used that to what they consider to be their advantage. We'll see long run whether it really is to their advantage.
1: You know, other presidents have had rough first years and turned it around, Kennedy, Reagan, Clinton. In my view, one thing that helped them was the fact that they were all very gifted communicators, Biden, with all due respect, he's a good man. I like him personally and all that. He is not as gifted a communicator as those other presidents. Again, Kennedy, Reagan, and Bill Clinton. But Larry, what do you think?
5: Look, uh, Joe Biden will turn 80 at his next birthday. Uh, This is unprecedented territory for the presidency. Yes, President Reagan was 77 and almost 78 on his way out, But that's very different, finishing up a presidency that way as opposed to starting it. Uh, And yes, Biden is not the greatest orator in the world, but we knew that. Uh, He was never going to be Cicero. Uh, He has something, though, that the other presidents didn't have. He has Donald Trump. There is no one who energizes Democrats and unifies them more than Donald Trump. Uh, I think he has to use Trump more rather than less. Notice in most of the first year of office, Biden wouldn't even mention Trump's name. Trump took advantage of that to regenerate. And now Biden is going to have to remind Trump and the Republicans that he, Biden, beat Trump. That may help. It may help to bring Democrats back together. The specter of Donald Trump regaining power after everything we know about the attempted coup, but also the way Uh, Trump governed for four years. That should be enough to change reality. We'll see, but it ought to be enough.
1: My thanks to my old friend Larry Sabato. He's director of the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia, one of the country's most respected observers on politics and history. So that's the professional view. But what about you? I've been collecting some opinions via my app. Too many to play here, but here are a few comments on how they think Biden is doing. This one is from Tony. Given how the year
3: has started, he has done pretty good. Um, I think he's tried very hard to deal with the the COVID and build back uh, legislation. Afghanistan withdrawal, the way it was handled was the big mistake of the year. I do think he has a lot of issues to deal with. And of course he has a very reluctant Congress. So that I think is making a lot of uh, challenges for him, but I think he is trying. I think for the most part, first year, given everything that has happened, it's been okay, but he's gonna have to do much more next year, especially with the midterms coming up.
1: Yeah, those midterms aren't looking too hot for Democrats right now. Another comment from Matt Small of Virginia. Until he can uh, get a better handle on issues like the uh, pandemic, the economy, foreign actors like Russia and China and how to manage expectations on on all those issues, uh, his poll numbers will continue to suffer. And Barbus tells the truth. We live in an alternative facts world where people are going to believe what they want to believe.
2: We're in a world that there's two answers to every question. The first answer would be on the left, I think he's doing as best as he can, given what he's been given. On the right, everything's wrong and the world is falling apart. And we could do so much better if the guy that was really voted in would have gotten in.
1: By the way, you can be on the show, too. All you got to do is download my app. It's called West Wing Reports, available in the Apple and Android stores. Download it on your phone or tablet. There's a button called What's on Your Mind. All you do is push, talk, and send. That's it. Send me your comment, question on anything, really. We'll give it a listen if you make it on the air. Your name goes into a monthly drawing for one of my books. I'll open up the history vault in a minute. First, though, let's hear about another evergreen podcast that I know you'll enjoy. Don't you know that you were growing up? Time now to open up the West Wing Reports archives and see what made history this week in the past. You ever wonder why we vote on the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November? Congress way back in 1845 said that's when elections would be held. Why? Because in 1845, most people worked on farms. Congress did not want voting to interfere with planting season, so spring and early summer were out, and it couldn't interfere with the harvest, so early autumn was out too. But why the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November? Well, Sunday was church, and back then folks often had to travel for hours to get to the polls, so Monday was set aside for travel and Tuesday for voting. To call this Outdated in the 21st century is what you might call an understatement. Not sure if you remember Walter Cronkite, but for years he was the premier and most trusted TV journalist in America. He's probably best known for announcing the death of President Kennedy after his assassination in 1963. But this week in 1973, he announced the death of a second president right in the middle of his newscast.
5: Thank you very much, Tom. I'm on the air right at the moment. Uh, Can you hold the line just a second? I'm talking to Tom Johnston, the press secretary for Lyndon Johnson, who has reported that uh, the 36th president of the United States died this afternoon in a uh, ambulance plane on the way to San Antonio where he was taken after being stricken at his ranch, the LBJ Ranch in Johnson City, Texas. He was stricken at 3:40 p.m. Central Standard Time, 4:40 uh, Central uh, Eastern Standard Time. Three agents who were at the scene, uh, who are permanently attached to the ranch to protect uh, the president, uh, went to his immediate aid, gave him all emergency uh, aid they could, put him in a plane, I suppose, uh, Tom, uh, one of the president's own planes.
1: Now, back in the early 70s, of course, news was not 24-7, no cable news, just three half-hour newscasts, Everybody watched and everybody trusted Cronkite, who was the king. It was truly a moment of high drama. 1977, Jimmy Carter, in his first full day in office, pardoned Vietnam draft dodgers. Veterans groups were outraged, but Carter said he wanted America to move on from the war. Want more history? Check out my books on Amazon. I'll sign them for you, too. Just shoot me an email brand is at evergreenpodcasts.com. And need a speaker for your event? I do that too. Current events, economics, analysis, history. I connect the dots and I would love to hear from you i like to end each week with a quote, something you might find thoughtful. This week, it's from Lyndon Johnson, our 36th president. He said, quote, if one morning I walked on top of the water across the Potomac River, the headline that afternoon would read, President Can't Swim. Think about it. Well, that's all for this week. Again, my email, pbrandis at evergreenpodcasts.com. West Wing Reports is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to C-SPAN for the audio clips, our producer and sound designer and engineer, Noah Fouts. He wears three hats. Executive producers, Michael DeAloia and Gerardo Orlando. I'm Paul Brandis in Washington. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week.